Hello and welcome to Box Not Included, the show looking at geek culture and the media we love and loathe from a queer perspective. I'm Hamish, the best like no one ever was, still? Oh, I failed that. I knew what you were going for. And I'm Jade, overly emotional and under-caffeinated Rose. <laughs> and um, if you can't tell what the theme is for this episode from our description, that's good because today's theme is... Themes, no. no. Today's theme is a kind of general catch-up geek out. There is no box, there is no script. We're just going to catch up about what we're interested in at the moment. I mean, Hamish and I don't live in each other's pockets. We don't live here in the studio. And um, between us, we've got a lot of far-flung interests. So it's kind of nice we thought we'd come together, as we do, and talk about the stuff that's sort of interesting uh, interesting us at the moment i can't even speak i apologize i I blame being delirious and ill (laughs) well yeah the i feel that a few of our episodes have been so specific to the Mm -hmm. point that um they might have put off some listeners maybe um and so we wanted to break up our specific chats with um interactive episodes Mm -hmm. and ones where we just catch up in the geeky world yeah Catch up and geek out, because, you know, that's what we do here. So, Hamish, what are you geeking out about at the moment? Um, Shouldn't have left it over for me to ask you first. Oh, okay. So, I'm I'm geeking out about Pokemon. Mm-hmm. I know that's not something that you've ever, a world you've ever gone I, into. I, I, I watched the cartoon as a younger person. Oh. I was invested. So, um, okay. Pokemon Sun and Moon games uh, mm-hmm. came out for the 3DS um, a little while ago, mm-hmm. um, and I played them, fine. Um, but for some reason, in the last week um, or two, I've kind of gone from uh, sort of casually playing it and completing it to full-on 10-year-old Hamish again. Um, and I'm not entirely sure why. Mm-hmm. So... Let me explain. Please. In Pokemon, as I'm sure you might know, it's about catching them all and completing mm-hmm. your Pokedex. I had heard of such. Um, in the games, to complete your Pokedex, you just have to have had that Pokemon at one stage. So, when you have a Pikachu, it counts in your Pokedex. When it evolves, you still have Pikachu and the right and what it evolves into. I know it's right in, in your Pokedex, okay. So, I've been so when I get the games I try and build up a Pokedex by trading and evolving, etc. But I have now taken it to... I feel like, you know, that level state, level 5 vegan, I don't eat anything of a shadow. I feel like now I'm a level, like, 3 Pokemon trainer because I am trying to create a living Pokedex, which means I own a Pikachu and a Raichu. Okay. Which is a bit trickier to do. Mm Mm-hmm. And the reason you do this is so when the next game comes along, you can just transfer it all, dump it in, and as Justin beautifully put it when I explained this to him, save time later by wasting it now. (laughs) (laughs) I know this is not necessarily a um, good use of time, but I think it's definitely happened because I feel in my job at the moment, Mm. I'm finding... uh, myself having a bit of a lack of control organization um i'm sort of stepping into a world which is a bit more stressful and full-on than anything i've really experienced so pokemon has in a way given me something i have a bit of control over and it's really helping sort of complete things um and the reason why I'm full on in is that this has bled. So when I'm not playing the Pokemon games, I'm listening to a Pokemon podcast called uh, It's Super Effective, which is very good. Mm-hmm. And um, I do like because they do talk about like problematic elements of the games oh, cool. and um, things like that. Yeah. When I'm not listening to that, I'm walking around playing Pokemon Go on the phone and I'm reading the mangas and... I was going to say, I saw on... Um, you did the hourly comics yeah. thing not too long ago and um, I saw... One, I saw the Pokemon Go one and then I was like... <laughs> I noticed you drew uh, yourself with the DS as well and I'm just like, ah, 
Yeah, I mean, I it it feels it feels fine, and it's like I know this will go eventually. I'm not gonna catch them all, um, but they'll. That's defeatist. I want to, but it's like it's a long Pokemon at the moment. Doesn't feel like it's uh, going anywhere in the sense that I'm pretty sure they'll keep making games, and they've introduced a quite easy way to transfer Pokemon from game to game. All right, so. This is a long-term commitment, <laughs> I feel. But it is satisfying. And they've definitely, in the new games, um, intentionally <clears throat> made it more satisfying. Every time you get a new Pokemon, like, a whole fanfare things, and, like, mm-hmm. you see all the pages of Pokedex which have completed, and they, like, go red, and it's... Oh, it really appeals to me. <laughs> um, so, yeah. I'm, I, 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 it, part of me does think that... Um, you start becoming obsessed with getting like a living Pokedex and all that when you're n- when life's not going great. It's not something happy people maybe do. <laughs> um, but it does feel like it's helping rather than indulging. But that's good. I feel. I mean, you say uh, uh, Pokemon is not my thing, and it's a fair thing to say. As I, I did watch uh, the cartoon, uh, the anime. When it was airing on CITV back in the day. Um, Misty! Do you remember that? Yes. I I, I used to really like the cartoon. Um, But I've never never played. Um, I think my sister had some Pokemon cards, but I never played that either and have never played the games. However, not that long ago, I did watch Griffin McElroy's Nuzlocke run of Pokemon Y and got very, very, very invested (laughs) in what was going on. I posted about it saying I'm annoyed at how invested I am in this and how upset I am at this character dying when I don't even play Pokemon, to which somebody pointed out, you don't play Pokemon yet. (laughs) And um, a a good friend of mine was like, well, you know, I've got the games. I can lend them to you. And I'm like, I do not need that particular hole to fall into (laughs) because I'm either going to play it for half an hour or an hour and be like, yeah, okay, I get it. No. Or it's going to consume my very being. Being a geek of um, many things is a bit like walking through like just a a field of holes Mm -hmm. with labels and you're kind of avoiding some. It's like the, it's like the film holes in the desert. They're all around you. You like, you you avoid some, which Mm. obviously look bad. You yeah. stumble into others by accident, and, and then the ones some's that, you... that one there's something glittery inside, and you go to look over the edge of the hole. Go, oh, that co- oh no, I'm in yeah. the hole, and um, my leg is broken. Some holes you go into because you see some friends down there, and you want to help them, but then you get up. Or they stuck. invite, or they invite you <laughs> yeah. down into the hole. They're like, we've made a comfy place down here. There's room for you too. This yeah. is a nice hole. Um, so, Pokemon. It, I don't know, there was a stage... I loved it as a kid. Mm-hmm. Um, I've never not bought the latest one, but I, there was a sort of a middle stage, mm-hmm. Gen 3 and 4, where I I think I think because you, everyone around me grew out of it, yeah. I was still buying them, but I didn't have anyone to play with, and that kind of um, makes your own enthusiasm go down a bit. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't know, the latest ones... They've really felt like they're addressing all the issues. Um, Nintendo has a few franchises where when they're the only one doing something, the franchise kind of gets a bit stale, but as soon as they have some competition. So Pokemon used to be in big competition with Digimon, and the games are great. And Digimon kind of faded out, and the games I felt got a bit samey. And there's a new thing called Yokai Watch, which is taking Japan a bit by storm. So I feel the Pokemon games have stepped up the game again and are very satisfying and fun to play. And the latest one broke my heart because they've it has a great story and it's all about family and broken homes. No, no, it's you great. can't do it. No, it's like there's this character called Lily and um, she's kind of your traveling companion and she has deep issues with her mum and it's not uh, it's not wholesome and. Um, very Japanese. It's, it's very much like, oh, okay, we're all crying now. Okay, fine, cool. Um, Story of my life. Mm. 
I was recently thinking about how, in, I think in almost every Pokemon game, mm. you play an immigrant from a single parent family. Because mm. every game starts with you sort of moving to the new region with your mum. And this game, more than ever, I feel, the latest one, is very much about parents with unusual family situations. Because um, I think every character has a kind of one parent or parents that have... In different ways. I feel like that's the theme of the game. Yeah. That's me reading into it. Still cool, though. Do you play Sun or Moon? Um, I got Sun because Lydia insisted on getting Moon because she's a big Sailor Moon fan. <laughs> yeah. Um, but they're very, very similar. Um, I just, I got a lion and she got a bat. Fair. Jade, mm. what are you currently geeking out about? Oh, I mean... I just got caught up with Critical Role and was in full emotional meltdown. Mm-hmm. Um, what is Critical Role for those who do not know? Uh, for those who do not know, um, I forget when we talk about things and, and when they go out. Critical Role is a show where nerdy ass voice actors play Dungeons and Dragons and it streams on Twitch and Alpha. And oh my god. <laughs> this is how most descriptions end of you it, just it, in, in pained wailing yeah sounds of anguish it, it and it i did say it was them playing dungeons and dragons and it's literally a live stream of their campaign mm-hmm. and it's been running online it'll be two years this year i believe might be a bit more but they've been playing for a couple of years before they went live and them um, geek and sundry uh, approached them about approached them about putting their game online for people to watch. And we've just come to the close of this major arc that's been going for a year. What you have to understand is these guys play every week for like between three and four hours on average. And um, spoilers for episodes in particular, 83 and 84, (laughs) um, for people who maybe are fans already and are catching up or want to just avoid spoilers because they're planning on doing the mammoth task of catching up with the backlog, which I did last summer, which was six weeks of my free time. I literally went to work and then I watched Critical Role. I watched episode one over about a week. <laughs> like, And there you will see a difference between us. Um, I was getting ready for a con at the time as well. Mm. But yeah, it was. I, I regret not one moment of it, but one of the party died um, and couldn't be... Uh, resurrected with Revivify because they're they're like level 16 characters for the most part so they're like high up but um, the DM Matt has got um, rules about resurrection because he feels otherwise it's cheap when you get to higher levels like as long as you can pay for it you can do it so he has his own really interesting rules about how the resurrection spell works and it's just I won't go into the specifics well, one of my favourite characters... I say one of my favourite characters. I genuinely think one of them is becoming my favourite character and then another one will do something and then I'm like, well, guess I was wrong. <laughs> so they are all my favourites. But found family narrative has always been very strong with these characters. They call themselves Vox Machina, which is very cool because apparently their their party name used to be The Shits, the super high-intensity team. <laughs> um, but they changed to Vox Machina before the, the stream started and um which is cool because they're all voice actors mm. so voice in the machine um but yeah one of the characters in particular whose um his character is a goliath with a goliath barbarian with an intelligence score of six which is a negative two modifier um was so eloquent and so heartfelt and when uh, his player travis rps it's sort of like the moments hit so very hard and then and he sang a little song as part of this resurrection thing. Another character wrote a poem and the character that died was their bard and it's just like, I was a mess. I was watching with my sister and brother-in-law and we're all there just like blankets and clothes pulled up over our faces like, oh! And the spell worked and there was a couple of very handy nat 20s in the... Um, but Christ, we were all just there. Like, I give myself full blackout on it 
because I do not want to be spoiled now. Mm. And I'm mostly successful, but I have a problem where I have a, where I have a Tumblr and I'm really particular about catching up with it. So blacklists are utilised. Um, when I played Dungeons & Dragons, I was with a party. Mm. I, it was the first time I ever played it. Yeah. And one of the characters died and I took it really hard and everyone in the um, party... Uh, we're like, okay, well, we'll just get a resurrection spell, we'll do this. And I didn't know the universe had that yeah. in there. And I thought, okay, so we exist... Wait, what? We exist in a world where you can just bring people back from the dead and that's okay. Bearing in mind we are also fighting a necromancer as our villain and we we're mm. constantly saying that's wrong. And I ended up kind of shouting down the party that, no, we need to take death seriously. It mm. really affects us. But if you take the resurrection seriously... Mm. Um, I think that's the way to go. Yeah. What was interesting is they've had a guest player for a couple of episodes um, who's an older character, mm-hmm. and he purposely talks to uh, this, this character I was talking about earlier, this barbarian grog, about resurrection spells and what have you done this a lot. But it's interesting talking about, so this is possible, because his character only heard rumours about such a thing, mm-hmm. and um, which was really cool to get that aspect on. And then one of the other members of the party who's human, who's got, like, a super horrifyingly tragic backstory, who within game has died twice and been brought back twice. First time very nastily, second time better. (laughs) And so much as dying can be better, but Mm. it was had this whole little thing about how life is unfair and why do some people get to come back and some don't. And it was sort of very heartfelt and a great sort of discussion within character about the logistics of resurrection and what does it mean in a universe where people can be brought back the nature of fate and i'm just like what well this is people improvising as they go (laughs) what critical role is interesting because i don't know if there's any kind of media like it you're kind of different to Dungeons and Dragons sort of podcasts, you are watching actors perform improvised scenes kind of sat in a line. And it's really, it is interesting how you can get invested so much. Like I have, I've in my job, we currently have discussions about, oh, we will we be invested in this character if they have, you know, they don't have eyes or they don't have a face. And I'm I'm always thinking, I get invested in anything. Like, you just need to do it right. Mm-hmm. Um, no, I agree. I, I, I don't know whether... As I said, I've been, I've been watching Critical Role since uh, July of last year. And I am so... I mean, I have spent more time in, in terms of hours with these characters than I have with some of my friends by sheer virtue of how long the episodes yeah. are. And, yeah, not that it's hard to get me emo- emotionally invested. I, I struggle with being, having high levels of empathy, so it's not hard to provoke an emotional reaction, <laughs> <laughs> like, at all. But um, in one of my D&D games, that I, um, I, I'm a player in two and a DM in a third, because why not? But... Um, a member of our party died. Um, I'd joined the group like, three sessions before that. Mm. So my character hadn't known his character for very long. Um, but she's really struggling with the notion that somebody gave their life so that she might keep living. And yeah, it's as a play, I, I really found her voice last week. And, um, yeah, it. I don't know whether it that sort of bled into it a little bit, but yeah, I've been thinking a lot about death in RPs <laughs> and 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 D and D. I'm also hooked into the Adventure Zone, which is a, a comedy D and D podcast, which is really good at making me cry and scared and angry. You know, great comedy. Um, but they're through some. They're going through some stuff at the moment where I'm just like. What? Do you want to talk about that as your next geek out? No, because I want to dedicate an episode <laughs> of, of this to the Adventure Zone. 
I am more caught, I'm much more caught up on the adventure zone. I want to mistake that the reason, yeah, time is the reason I haven't caught up with Critical Role. Time is an excellent reason. It's it's a massive ask though. If you um Google uh, a, a lot of people, if you're interested in Critical Role, you think it might be something that'll interest you. A couple of people have done primers, and one of the most useful ones I've found is based on how much time you have. Mm. It will advise. Okay, well, you don't have any time. Start now. And he, he, there's just a thing you can literally find out the characters' backstories. And there's one like, okay, these key episodes will be really useful. Okay, you've got this much more time. Okay, this arc and this arc, you can skip these interim episodes. Maybe we'll start doing show notes and uh, <laughs> put a link in there. Maybe we could. That's a level of organisation that I can only aspire to at this <laughs> point. But I like I like the thought of it. Yeah. Um, Isn't am, it? I, am I going to geek out next about something? Yeah. Get okay. Your, get your geek on. I, I, uh, something I have been geeking out about, maybe something we talk about in in bit more detail, but the current series of It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia. I'm so behind on Always Sunny. I know you're always... And, that, and I, I assume because it doesn't air in this country... I am not going to talk about any kind of specifics, I feel. Mm-hmm. I might, briefly. But um, <sighs> this is a show that's sometimes quite hard to uh, explain why you like, especially because I feel, um, although I do enjoy lots about the first season and the first sort of few seasons, um, it does include everything I would not want to put in a show. <laughs> mm-hmm. Um but yeah, the I basically in just general I I feel the current series is really really great so far. This um, I find myself hearing a description of a future episode having a full on crisis that okay that's the one I stopped watching that sounds awful, and um, then it happens and it's really well done. Do you know what the first episode of this current season was called? Was that the musical one? Yes. No, I don't know what it was called. It was called The Gang Turns Black. I can see why you were nervous. I was nervous. Um, And it's a musical episode. Mm -hmm. Um, I feel like we should clarify for people that don't watch Always Sunny. These are awful people. And that is the point. Okay, so It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia is about a bunch of people that run a bar in Philadelphia. And this has always been the case in the show. Um, They are awful people who make do awful poor, things, do awful things, have poor decisions. Um, but especially in the sort of early mid seasons, also it's one of the longest running live action sitcoms of all time. Yeah. They're on series 12 now. 12. They've been, um, greenlit for 15. Wow. And like, that's not even the last season if they say <laughs> anyway, um, for some reason, Danny DeVito c- appears in season two and then stays for the entirety of the run. <laughs> Um, and it's, it's very, very, very clear they're bad people. However, because we spend a lot of time with these people and we, they're so well and consistently written, um, you can't help but feel very (coughs) sorry for them and find them enjoyable to watch. And in a weird way, I often feel it does better, it does more good than some other things, because shows which are very overtly progressive and diverse um, kind of preach to the choir. Mm. Whereas this show is a kind of, from the outside, looks like a kind of a dude bro sitcom. It's on Fox. FXX. FXX. It feels like it's appealing to a certain type of person, but then buried in it, not even very deep, is an incredibly well-meaning, well-hearted, almost educational message about this is what not to do and here's why. Um, It's made a lot of missteps, um, often because I think they've taken for granted that these characters are bad and not... A lot of the shows then are getting called out on their stuff. Mm -hmm. Um, But sometimes they don't. And I think it's sometimes in cases when we need this called out because not a lot of people know this is a bad thing to do. Yeah. But yeah, the so for example, the gang turns black, terrified about what this would mean, 
um, is actually a, a zany body swap episode <gasps> where they realise that everything the gang does, they only get away with because of their white privilege. So... There's you guys a- can't see this, but my face is <laughs> the way as well. Um, so... Um, it had black writers. It was um, there's no like blackface or them saying the n word or anything. Whenever they see themselves in mirrors, they are played by black people. Um, and so you have Charlie saying um, he, he. It's not really a spoiler to say that they get arrested at one point because that's kind of ninety percent of the of the episodes. But he's in like an interrogation room, and everyone in the room is seeing a. Uh, black child who he's body swapped with um and he charlie's explaining oh i live i clean the toilets in this bar and i'm addicted to um these like substances and i sleep with a man called frank and i and like i don't i don't know like he's basically saying all these things that people have stereotypes of um and you realize that these characters there's a bit when um dennis tries to get into his car but people think that he's stealing it because He's not. He's not the actual owner of that car. It's like it's. It ends up being far more nuanced and, um, try like, on the right side of what it's trying to say than usual. It's completely about white privilege. Fantastic. Um, and when I feel a lesser show would, just do it for the lols. And also, it's a musical episode for some reason. <laughs> There's a few musical episodes, and this one's like a full-on they are singing, and, um, yeah. That's amazing. But, I mean, like, the next episode was called The Gang Goes to a Water Park, and was just, like, straight up, like, they've... they've, Sitcom nonsense? Yeah, this season they've very much been doing experimental episode, standard, sunny, which is always good and refreshing. Mm. Um, And then the, the last episode I watched was... One of the most strange experimental was ones. Was that the one with lots of direct camera address? It was called Making Dennis Reynolds a Murderer. Beautiful. And was a, I've not seen the documentary no. Making a Murderer. But, but it was a, a kind of a spoof of um, true crime documentaries and um, playing on the fact that for a few seasons people have really been suspecting that one of the characters might be a murderer. Mm-hmm. Um, and actually the reason why I think we might come back to talk about it um, especially after this season, is LGBT representation because there is a character in Always Sunny who is unlike any gay character I've ever seen in anything. In what way? Or do you want to save that? Um, no, it's that queer baiting is when you reap the rewards of pretending like you have LGBT representation, but not actually delivering. Mm-hmm. And there's a character called Mac who is gay, but he is closeted. And he's closeted to the audience, but the writers have been very clear. And so, for example, a queer baiting is not when you say a, a character is LGBT, but don't put any... I'm sorry, I don't know what I'm trying to say. Like, uh, yeah. he is canonically gay, mm-hmm. but the it's interesting to see a character who's in their early 40s now um, and not out to their friends because you can be gay and not out. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's definitely developments this season. Very cool. But, like, it doesn't air on any channel in the UK, but... It does go to Netflix yes. very soon after the series, because I know Series 11 is on Netflix and I need to watch it. Yeah. So. But I, um, I, I'm... i Over the course of a couple of months when I started watching, my Dash just became always Sunny Blogs, so mm-hmm. I, I do watch it to not get spoiled. Yeah. But I'll probably watch it all again on Netflix. Very cool. What have you been geeking out about? I have just, I say just, this week, at time of recording, uh, finished working my way through the back catalogue of uh, one of the McElroy family of products. <laughs> uh, look, I'm not going to deny it. I, I have, some, the McElroys have entered special interest for me, not them as people, but they're the things they produce. 
and they do put a lot of content they out do there. create an amazing amount of content and one of well one a couple of their podcasts is really what inspired box not included mm. so much thanks is owed to them but to get back to my point because otherwise I'll, I'll ramble even more than i usually do i finished catching up with sawbones and Sawbones is presented by uh, Justin McElroy and his wife, Dr. Sydney McElroy. And it is a marital tour of misguided medicine, which is a fantastic tagline. And through it, they explore various topics and how it's been treated over the course of human history. Like it's And it's a medical history show. And the whole shtick is that Sydney, obviously, she's a, a working family practitioner and Justin plays the part of Dunce. Um, and it's very informative. It's very interesting. As some, I've always been a casual fan of history. I liked it enough in school, but I, I, I grew up reading the horrible history books. Mm. And I've always found biology quite interesting as well. So for me, it's like a fun nexus point of, of nerdry. Their first um, episode is about trepanation, which I don't know if you're familiar with trepanation. But it was the belief that, um, I'm probably going to explain this wrong, about um, that by drilling a hole into the skull, uh, you yes. could solve all manner of things. But that episode gave them their closing statement of, um, and as always, don't drill a hole in your head, <laughs> which though the perceptive of you have been listening to this podcast will know that we also have a sign off and that's very much a, a, a trait I picked up from McElroy. Uh, podcasts but one of the things as well as it being very interesting content as, as I'm, I'm a nerd so I, I like finding trivia like that I can throw out there into the world one of the things I noticed in earlier episodes um, when subjects along the lines of pregnancy or menstruation some of the language was very I don't want to say cis, cis sexist because that I don't think that's the correct term for what I'm getting at but equating um Binary? gender it's equating gender with your biology yeah um might be cis centric I'm, I'm not entirely sure but there was some of that in the earlier episodes and as they've gone on the inclusivity of their language has changed and it's like uh, people who give birth, people who menstruate. And something I particularly like is um, they'll say, uh, when talking about royalty, uh, princes, princesses, non-binary. And it was so, it's such a rarity to have people not only do it as a one-off mention that non-binary folk are a thing, but matter-of-factly it's not something that they actively draw attention to but it's like a statement of fact there are non-binary people in the world mm. and this is something i come across time and time and again with the mackerels is for for three brothers who will tell you they're three white boys from west virginia like a very almost rural background who make a concentrated effort to be educated and to understand and to learn and it's just like it's such a wonderful example to the listeners and they have such a, a varied listener base that it just makes me very happy mm. to have that out there. And um, I need, I need to, to email them because I've enjoyed it so much. But yeah, I'm kind of, it's that whole thing is the satisfaction of catching up on something versus now I have to wait for new things, which <laughs> is such a, double age it's such a fan geek problem which is like oh no i caught up with the thing and now i have to wait for new stuff but there's the satisfaction of having completed, completed. It, is, it isn't like on anything the only thing i think of because i was just talking about like sunny like i watched seasons one to nine in a couple of months and then now i watch one episode in isolation mm. in a week and i analyze it way more than i ever did previous ones yeah um and you give it more weight if it disappoints you because mm. you can't just watch the next one. Or Yeah, I did a similar thing when I first watched Always Sunny um, after seeing Pacific Rim. I wanted um, um, some of the blogs I was following at the time were a, a new series of Always Sunny was just starting. And mm. I was like, oh, well, I have deep feelings about, <laughs> <laughs> about Charlie Day. Mm -hmm. I'll check this out. And I, yeah, over a course of a couple of weekends, 
bless Netflix. It, it's so beautifully designed for those of us with little impulse control. <laughs> and again, mainline it, to the point where I struggle to distinguish between seasons of Always Sunny because yes. of doing, of like intaking like that. I kind of divide it into the like shot on a handheld camera, uh, SD, HD. And there's also the Fat Mac years. The, uh, the Fat Mac season. Fat Mac. Well, yeah, anyway, we will talk about Always that, Sunny. That's a spiral that we could uh, <laughs> But how much we get lost with. No, but you're so the McElroy, um family of podcasts is something. And, podco- and products, because they have YouTube products. stuff too. Yeah. Um, they uh, that's caught on with me I think because of Tumblr's um, you can blame me as well ex- to be well, fair well I see it from a lot of blogs actually um, mostly the event, the Adventure Zone mm. um, which is the first one I listen to and then I listen to Interabang, um, which I enjoy because it's validating to realise people are having the same annoyances mm. as you um I think the reason I haven't listened to Sawbones is that even though I love history, I'm... It's a bit squeamish about medical stuff. I am a little bit. I feel like it's okay. far too much of a hypochondriac. Whenever I like get reminded of brains, I know I can feel it. And I'm like, oh God, that's me. <laughs> that's me in there, just as sloshing about. What's interesting is there's a couple of episodes where Justin is clearly deeply, deeply uncomfortable <laughs> with the subject matter and is visit- audibly having a gross out <laughs> and it's wonderful. I feel like I'll get to it though. Um, I'll, I'll make you a list of a couple of particularly good episodes. Well, actually, the reason I listened to Interabang was because you gave me one episode to listen to. I did. Um, Travis McElroy has become a little bit of a mental health um, mentor. Um, I definitely... Every... I don't know. We feel. I feel very connected to his mind process, mm. the way he feels about things. Um... He was talking recently about, on Twitter, um, narcissism. And narcissistic personality disorder. Yes. And how um, I've definitely felt that. And it's really hard to find any information or explain it about it sounding like you're, you you have a really low opinion of everyone or something. Mm. Um, and the thing that really, like, uh, in, when he was talking about it on Twitter... He kept getting messages saying, you're not narcissistic, you're too nice. And his response was, yes, I'm the nicest person ever. I'm the nicest person that's ever going to live and I'm nicer than every one of you. Like, that's not helping. That's what it is. It's not mm. It's not thinking you're amazing. It comes up with me in the sense that I'm constantly assuming everyone's expecting, like, perfection from me. And, like, I'm, I feel like... It's not, I think everything I do is amazing. It's, I feel everything I do is not good enough because I know I'm amazing. Does that make sense? Yeah. It's quite difficult. No, it does but, make um, sense. I don't know, I really enjoy how they have managed to create uh, geek celebrity personas, in a way, hmm. um, through being very honest. Yeah, I mean, the McElroy's... Yeah, they started with their, their show, um, My Brother, My Brother and Me, which start? Oh, I can't remember. I, I'm dipping in and out. I'm sort of doing a pincer movement on my brother, my brother and me, like working my way back from the back <laughs> and the front simultaneously. Um, it started as a way for them to keep in touch because they were living in different parts of the country. Mm. And I think it'd be quite easy to dismiss it as white boys talking, but even from the beginning, and it's interesting to see how much they've learned and matured, like... Um, Two of them have gotten married. They've now all had children over the course of the show. And the way perspectives change. And mm. and the, the whole premise of My Brother and My Brother and Me is it's an advice show where they give bad advice. And um, I don't know, as somebody um, who's not necessarily in the best place emotionally and mentally, particularly when at work, um, I found that listening to them gives me faith in humanity <laughs> that my co-workers would seek to destroy in me. <laughs> I mean, one of the things I really admire about Interabang specifically hmm. is he'll put views out there if he that he's still working out, hmm. um, both of them, um, and they'll 
not be afraid to ask for uh, opinions or to have their minds changed or their views changed. Mm-hmm. Um, an, an attitude that Hamish and I really strongly want to yeah. emulate with our podcast. Because there's a little delay before they come out, I always have a little bit of a crisis where I think, oh my God, what did I say? Mm. And um, I remember because we started recording... I don't know. The world feels like a very different place every week. Doesn't um, it? And I feel that... Actually, I was talking about something recently. If this is kind of like a catch-up and geeky thing. It you're is. You're thinking about writing, okay. Mm. So there's a term used in film studies where they say films... People really do talk about pre- and post-9-11 films. Yes. For example, Independence Day is a very pre-9-11 film in that it takes huge joyful glee in the destru- destruction of landmarks. Yeah. Um, it's very gung-ho. Um, whereas now in films, destruction of buildings is seen as quite horrifying. Mm. Um, something like, for example, Man of Steel, when Superman pretty much destroys all of Metropolis. Um, you could do that in the 90s, you wouldn't care. You'd be like, yeah, great. Um, but now you kind of... People feel a bit weird about it. Mm. I very much feel that there is a pre and post Trump. I'm sorry I said it. Way of writing. Um, I was recently watching a clip from the last series of Doctor Who, mm-hmm. which I know you might want to talk about in a second. Yes. Um, and it was a speech last year in an episode called The Zygon Inversion, mm-hmm. which at the time I thought was amazing and great. And I listen to it now, and the speech is essentially the Doctor telling a oppressed, rebelling group that they, if they do any kind of retaliation, they're as bad as the oppressor. And I don't know, it felt so absolutist. It didn't feel as... It felt like the Doctor was reducing a very nuanced discussion to all fighting is bad. Mm. And I feel that that was how I felt last year and I feel we're in a slightly different place now where I understand that a absolutist non-violence viewpoint is a very privileged place to be mm-hmm. um so I just I feel like because a lot of because media takes a long time I feel like this year there's going to be quite a few films and uh tv shows which have quite a pre-Trump feel to them mm-hmm. and that maybe in 2018 we'll have slightly different yeah I mean we're in the middle of a very big shift mm-hmm. um, in, I mean as well as the stuff happening in America Brexit happening here in the UK yeah. Article 50 got passed and it's a stressful time for a lot of people and what um, being somebody active on, on social media, what I find heartwarming, I suppose, is everywhere I look is people fighting, is people talking about what can we do, how can we help each other. And this is in circles that I have formed around geeky interests. Yeah. And um, there's something... We, we've talked briefly in, in past episodes about geek community... And it's about finding your people through the things that you are interested in or the things you have in common, and even more so for the queer community. And I don't know, it, there's just something about seeing the people that you geek out about Pokemon with, about the friends you made because of that movie where giant robots fight giant <laughs> lizards. Yeah. Um, the people that you cry about Steven Universe with. Um, all sort of standing together and going well fuck no we do not want the world to be like this it's just interesting that so much media um is about fighting uh, you know oppression and dictators and stuff and then when something real happens in the real world Mm. people either choose to keep that in their fiction or realize that there's a reason why I believed in those characters fighting that. There's, yeah. I was, you know, you see all these protests and 
every few signs you see a princess Leia or something. Mm-hmm. And it's because the stories we are told were always supposed to, you know, keep mm. the, keep what we should be doing in our minds. Yeah. Um, I've seen, and I think it, it's a nuanced issue, but people may be ragging people who, who reference fiction when talking about what's happening in the world right now. And while I, I understand that you don't want to minimise this, or make it, you maybe say comparing it to this fictional situation is not helpful, but at the same time, if the fiction that we have gives us shape, gives us understanding, so while it's... I don't even know what point I'm trying to make, but... I don't think you can deny people the understanding that they have if it comes from fiction because people relate to the fiction history. People have short memories and like Mm. 50, 60 years ago is a long time ago. You also assume that if it happened in the past, it won't happen again because they'll mm. people, you will assume there'll be someone who's learned from it and won't make it happen. Maybe. Mm. Um, I remember when people were sort of, there was this kind of alt right movement to boycott Rogue One. Worked so well for them. Um, but also it's just like, this isn't the first Star Wars film about this, you know? Like, mm-hmm. have you seen a Star Wars film? It's about, you know, someone manipulating the government mm. to become a totalitarian ruler and people rebelling against it. Um, yeah, it's... it. <sighs> the world is weird. Geek stuff makes me happy, but it's also... Um, I I used to kind of go to social media to sort of... Escape. Escape a little bit. Mm -hmm. And I do understand why, for some people, social media is not a place they want to be right now. But it's really helping me, and especially in a world where you're starting to maybe not trust the news outlets or the things that you used to have belief in. Yeah. I'm finding belief in other people... um, much stronger. Which is nice. <laughs> nice is such a lame word. But so there we go. They were geeking out about geek people and our communities. Mm. And yeah, how spaces become politically charged in, in, in a good way. And I want to talk about something else. Because <laughs> Did you want to talk about I suppose, yeah, well, uh, as Hamish mentioned about uh, Doctor Who... Uh, it's been announced uh, that uh, Peter Capaldi is going to be leaving the show mm. and um, this will be his last season at Christmas and so we are going to be getting a new Doctor. Um, uh, I've seen a lot of, in between all the political tweets, uh, people <laughs> discussing maybe who they would like to see uh, as the Doctor, which is always um, a fun... I believe in the official statement it did say um, he or she... One could have said them or they, <laughs> so BBC, get on that. But um, and uh, this is a discussion that uh, Hamish and I have had before that has been talked about a lot with regards to having a woman playing the Doctor, whether or not this will be the right... I've, I saw a tweet, I do not trust the current writing team and new showrunner with a female Doctor, and I'm like, okay, I can understand your apprehension, I don't know if you've actually been watching the most recent stuff of Doctor Who, because while Stephen Moffat frequently says stuff, there's actually been some excellent writing and some very nuanced storytelling in Doctor Who as of late. But I understand people's apprehension. But I am enjoy the, the serious aspects of the discussion aside. I am all I always enjoy seeing people speculate again yeah. who they want to see. I believe David Tennant. Um, said he wants to see Olivia Coleman do it. Mm. She comes up quite a lot, um, especially seeing as the new showrunner show is the writer of Broadchurch. Mm. Um, and I know that that's nothing, but like Rusty Davis wrote, worked with Chris Ruxton and David Tennant before. Mm-hmm. Um, they, I think Matt Smith was the only real doctor in the current series they really auditioned. Oh, right. I think after David Tennant, because he was so popular, they didn't really know what direction to go. Mm. I think maybe because that was Moffat's first season, um, maybe it was a bit rude of him just to bring in a friend. Yeah. Um, but I think every other Doctor they've 
they've had auditions. They've had to yeah. do a screen test, but um, they've very much had them in mind. Yeah. So I feel in so in my limited interaction with um, the BBC, mm. uh, making sure that their programs leads are not just white dudes mm-hmm. is a priority with them at the moment maybe it doesn't always come across um but i feel um like the last few seasons of doctor who even though you've had um two white leads i felt the episodes themselves had really Mm -hmm. pushed to diversify the um actors at least yeah um and yeah the like I, i think a lot of people have stopped watching um but I feel the way they've handled Missy and um, mm-hmm. there was another sort of male to female regeneration in the last series with yeah. the general character. Mm-hmm. Um, it's like 100% canonical fact. No one on Gallifrey and Time Lords care about it. It's not a big deal. Yeah. Which I think I think it, when, when Moffat leaves, there'll be lots of discussions about his legacy and what he's left the show. And I think that's one of the positives mm-hmm. um, is making that fact yeah. and undeniable. For sure. Um, I, um, I made a post um, about my thoughts, mm-hmm. which was, um, as it's incredibly unlikely that they're going to cast me, Oh, I live in hope. I perpetually live in hope because it is one of my dreams is to play the Doctor. Mm. Um, I put, um, I think Riz Ahmed Mm. would make an amazing Doctor. Like, there's something about his energy, but he's so chameleon-like in the roles I've seen him in. Yeah, he's... um, There is something about him that I think could make for a really interesting Doctor. He's always... You always can see something's going on mm. um, behind his sort of big, beautiful eyes. Such beautiful um, eyes. I've enjoyed him and everything I've seen him in. Mm-hmm. Um, He's got this great range as well. Like, mm. he'll go to dark places. He can be very vulnerable. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I I would always jump to um, female doctor. My, arg- my counter-argument for against a female doctor mm. has always been... That Doctor Who is not a show lacking in strong female characters. Mm-hmm. Arguably, the Doctor is a sl- by the nature of having a character for the last fifty years. Mm-hmm. They don't have a huge deal of development um, and remain quite a constant. Whereas every couple of seasons, you get a new female character who mm-hmm. um, might tick certain similar boxes and where they come from or the type of actors they cast, but they, the characters are quite different and yeah. they really emphasise their journey and their development. Mm-hmm. Um, so I wouldn't want to sort of get rid of that, no. maybe. Um, but I that's like my one issue. Yeah. And it's interesting how public opinion has changed over the years. It's fantastic. When... It is something Stephen Moffat said that he used to ask Doctor Who fans at, at talks, "Do you want to see a female Doctor?" And the amount of hands that go up would change and increase every year. Um, and I think that's now that it's happened in the show. Now that um, Missy exists, and you can't say it wouldn't happen. Mm. Uh, I yeah. did. I did have this notion of post regeneration. If um, it is um, a woman playing the role, or a, a person of color of, of any gender, I do like the idea of like the regeneration happening and somebody commenting on how different it was, and just the doctor being like, "Seemed about time, didn't it?" It's just something along the lines of "Finally," or yeah. "It seemed overdue," or something just like. I like the idea of a little nod to the fact that it's been a, a white man for a very long time. I would find it really interesting if um, the Doctor just behaves the same mm-hmm. as a woman and when perhaps goes into historical episodes and wants to stand on a table and declare mm. a rebellion against the aliens, finds the response a bit different nowadays Yeah, and works out slowly about this. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I feel it would be... 
there is so much interesting stuff that could be done that it makes me as much as I'll miss Capaldi because I've I've found his doctor very engaging and I've enjoyed his performance very much. Uh, but we've got the new companion this season with Bill, and I, I can't wait to meet her. And it'll be intriguing first to see her dynamic with Capaldi, but then we'll get to see her dynamic with somebody new. Mm. Because as always with the Doctor, you sort of have the a particular companion that you either feel you brings out the best of the Doctor or the best of the companion. Like they're a peak sort of, and I don't mean just like a favourite thing, but it's just sort of like I feel that um, Clara really sort of came into her own with as tw- with 12. Yeah. They completed each other in a... Yeah. In a way. In, um, so, uh, that that's... The, I mean, that's the sort of vibe I look forward to, but I'm excited for the new season of Doctor Who, as as I always am. I always, I always am. I'm, I definitely... My level of enthusiasm has changed as I've got older. I remember mm. I'd be thinking about it all year and I couldn't really concentrate during the midweeks between episodes. Yeah. Whereas now, about midday on a Saturday, I go, ooh, that's tonight. Okay, cool. Yeah. <laughs> um, and that's always it's More nice. low-key, but yeah. it's no, never, no less joy. Yeah. Um, I'm excited. I... I wonder, I have this one, so when Peter Capaldi was announced, they did a whole like live TV thing with a, mm. an audience, and I think it's because he was quite a safe bet. Yeah. Um, he's quite a classic doctor. Yes. I feel like maybe if they are announcing someone, like perhaps they won't have a live audience of Doctor Who fans. Yeah, we'll have to see. Um, I don't know when they'll be announced. I mean, I always, I always want them not to be announced. I'd rather they didn't announce it. I fairly said, yeah, because they have to because of publicity at the same time. Why not have the regeneration happen at Christmas and then do the big wheel? I wish they would be brave enough to do that. That would, For me, that would be very satisfying. Yeah. It's, but I hey, I'm not in public. I don't work in publicity. I understand why they have to announce when they're regenerating because there's an that's an actor mm. that needs to look for work. Yes. <laughs> um, but if if an actor knows that they've got six months scheduled in mm. um, and they could just say, oh, sorry, too busy, yeah. too busy, and then <laughs> you'll know why. Yeah. Had this, I saw the, the uh, when Capaldi, when I saw the news article on mm. Facebook, Capaldi leaving Dot Who, I went, oh, sad, and I scrolled downwards and saw a trailer for Tams and Greg in Twelfth Night <gasps> walking up the stairs in a sort of a suit and popping a balloon I was mm. like yeah it should be good I'm happy with the new doctor yeah. <laughs> that's how I responded and then I just scrolled on yeah um, I suppose that's um, I say there's enough geeking out uh, geeking out as a state of being for me but I feel that's enough maybe doing it on air yes. today um, so thank you guys uh, for tuning in we hoped you enjoyed hearing Hamish and I ramble about things that we're enthusiastic about um and there wouldn't be much point in this podcast if you weren't here. So, uh, <laughs> well, we'd, well, we'd be talking. There wouldn't just there just wouldn't be a mic. But um, so, thank you. Uh, we also want to thank uh, Graham Waller, Audio Overlord, and Master of the Soundwaves for our theme music and helping produce the podcast. You can check out more of his work at GrahamWaller.com. And it may be out now. He has a podcast of his own, The Mix Cave, talking about sound engineering and exciting things like that which uh, you should check out because he's lovely and he does this for free. And so go check out his stuff. Yeah. <laughs> um, if you want to get in contact with us, we are Box Not Included on Facebook, Tumblr, Twitter and at gmail.com. And we would love for you to get in touch. Um, we'd love for you to tell friends if you think they would enjoy the show. Please tweet about it. Um, bring them over for a listening party. We're also doing regular um, Vox Pop episodes where we respond to questions, etc. Mm-hmm. And you don't need to send them in the week we're recording that. You can no, send anytime. them whenever and we'll add them to the list. Yeah, no, most definitely. Where's my list? We also have our individual Twitters. Yes, we do. <laughs> um, I'm at Hamish Steele. And I'm at Rose. Ah, oh, I know what I was going to say. I was going to say about rate, review, subscribe on iTunes. Well, that's given for... That's a standard, surely, when you like a podcast. A standard, you, surely. Standard. <laughs> you... you <laughs> write us a review. That'd be lovely. That'd be very, very helpful. 
until next time <laughs> bye um, I'm Jade Rose I'm Hamish Steele and don't let anyone box you in <laughs> <laughs>